Here we are with episode 30 of the Florida Trail Runners podcast. As you may know, we are hot off the weekend of the very hot Keys 100. I'm stoked to say we got a few episodes coming up. We'll hear from a group of ladies and from a group of the guys. But for today's episode, we've got your women's champion, Karen Lubetsky. This is her fifth Keys 100. And this year, she knocked it out of the park going 19 hours, 43 minutes. Now, she's gone 17 hours before out at Daytona, but this was a huge personal best for her out there at the Florida Keys on the Keys 100 course. So, hey, without further ado, let's kick it off with Karen. Hey, hey. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Let me tell you something. After the Keys 100, I'm like, I don't know about this weather anymore with that humidity. Well, I swear. <laughs> I, think this... I, I think I prefer the heat of bad water than, than this. Well, I swear this weekend was like the start of summer. There's always like that yeah. weekend or day For where sure. it's all of a sudden it's just like, like a the flip light switch. switch. It is, yeah. Yeah. And that was this weekend. <laughs> yep. Because mm-hmm. I was mowing my grass and I had to stop and take breaks. And it's only yeah. two and a half miles of pushing, but I'm like, oh, and they're running the keys right now. I know. Yeah. It's a little crazy, but yeah. <laughs> but good. Makes <laughs> How are you feeling right now? Tell I feel pretty good. Um, I really can't complain. I feel pretty good. Um, just like two uber sore toenails, you know, like when the toenail's going to come off, but it needs a few more days. Um, other than that, I honestly can't complain. I mean, I don't, you know, I feel like I want to go for a long run or anything, but I feel good. I definitely yeah. feel good. Yeah. Especially with how much time you dropped on this year compared to, you know, the other years. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I've had a great season. I've changed things up a little bit and, um, I guess it's working for me <laughs> and, um, you know, I came off of Daytona in February where I had just a monster PR and ran like a 1742, which in my wildest dreams, never, ever thought I could. And um, I I don't know, the sub 20 at the Keys was always super elusive to me. And I almost didn't want to dream it because, you know, you don't want to run like a 2030 and feel disappointed. You know, so I try to be realistic, but as the day was going on and on, I was like, I've got this, I've got this. And um, yeah, it was just, I don't know, it was like my crew, it was my mindset, it was who I was running for, you know, something bigger than me. And it all just came together. It was one of those days. Sometimes it just all comes together. Sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> but sometimes it does. Yeah, of course. I'm sure we'll get into, the, you know, that why. But I guess to, you know, kick it off, we can go with, you know, a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, your running background. Sure. So I am a mom of three. My I have three boys and I am living a cliche. I didn't run until I was 40. I started running as literally a midlife crisis. I was like, I'm turning 40. (laughs) My 
kids are a little bit more independent. I'm freaking out. What can I do? <laughs> so I ran a marathon to just sort of prove to myself that I could, that my body could still, you know, do something challenging. And I loved it. I loved the adrenaline rush. And I had grown up a competitive swimmer. And I hated running, by the way, growing up. I always thought of it as the punishment in my sport. And when I ran my first marathon, it was literally one week before my 40th birthday. I just sort of loved it. And I had that high of competition back and felt like this was my space for me. And that it was just something that I really thought would sort of help my entire family, you know, like allow me to take a little time for me, show my kids setting goals and accomplishing things. And I really enjoyed it. And I started doing pretty well. And that led to a local coach approaching me, asking me if I wanted to run with their team. And I did. And they found out about my background in swimming. And they were like, wow, you know, most triathletes really struggle with the swim. You have to get into triathlon. So I was like, yeah, I'll try it. And, you know, the, the swimming came right back to me. Very natural for me. I'm probably a stronger swimmer than I even am a runner. But I just don't really swim that often other than when I'm actually training for a triathlon. And it just came very naturally for me, except for the bike. <laughs> the bike uh, was always my kryptonite in triathlon. And I got very heavily involved in triathlon for a little while. During that time, I was still running competitively, and I was running the Boston Marathon, and it was 2013. It was my first Boston, and a little bit after I crossed the finish line, the bombs started exploding all around me. I was very grateful that I had already been reunited with my family, and that I didn't have to spend all that time searching for my family. And we did spend the next few hours um, running, searching, trying to figure out what was going on in the, you know, complete chaos and melee. But thank goodness we were together. And I came home from Boston that year and I was changed. I knew that I would always return and I have returned. I just ran last month, my 10th Boston. Wow. And yeah, and I will always go back because if I don't, they win, you know, and it's, it'll always have a very special place in my heart. Um, but when I came home, I, running could no longer just be about me, right? Running had to be about something bigger than me. It wasn't just like, wow, how fast can you go? You know, that didn't seem to mean anything anymore after what we experienced in Boston. And very soon after that, um, a dear friend came to me and said that she was working on finding a team to pull this amazing woman, Carrie Grusin, through an open water swim. Um, it's called Swim to Alligator Lighthouse. And it was um, an amazing human being person, Christina Ramirez, who asked me if I would join this team to pull carry through an open water swim and it was 
a nine mile open water swim to Alligator Lighthouse and back. And it was sort of like the thing that I was looking for, that meaning that I needed. And I met Carrie. Um, we always say to this day that we instantly became soulmates. We had this instant connection. Um, we, we are family. We are bonded for life. And it was just instantaneous. And the, inst the interesting thing is, you know, Carrie's verbal skills are very difficult. Um, they're significantly compromised, but that never mattered because we just communicated on a different level. It was like she was sent to me at the right time in my life. And um, literally, I will say the rest is history. <laughs> the two of us have now been competing together for nine years. It will be, it will be almost 10 years, you know, and um, we have done everything from full Ironmans to setting Guinness World Records, ultra distance, three day triathlons, ultra marathons, everything in between. And that has been life changing both for me and for my family. I think that it showed my kids a lot about resiliency, a lot about not judging people based upon what they look like about knowing that the only barriers there are in life are the ones that you put up for yourself. Everybody has limitations. It's just how you go about handling them and how you go about addressing them. In the interim, I still love to run and challenge myself. So I started competing at ultra marathons and sort of always looking for that next best challenge and Started running 50s, started running 100s, started running 125, 135, and my longest to date is 150 miler. Whoa. And yeah, that was actually not so much fun. That's a whole story in and of itself. I puked for about 75 miles, <laughs> but never gave up. Um, but it's been an amazing journey. I'm so grateful. And really the most important thing is that I have met the most incredible people. I always tell people that if you ever doubt there's still, still good left in humanity, which I think we can all doubt on a daily basis these days, but if you need to <laughs> renew that faith in humanity, all you need to do is just spend a day at an ultra marathon, spend a day with that community, and you will have renewed faith in humanity. The best people there are. Oh yeah, definitely. Because it's like a, a huge family coming together, or like you know, it's like a family reunion of people coming together, or you know, multiple families coming gathering up together. It's like a big party. You know, the greatest thing about an ultra is you go there and you have people from all over the world, all different backgrounds, ideologies, whatever it may be, all the same common goal, and that is just to help each other get to the finish line. You know, you'll never see a situation where you see an ultra runner struggling and the person someone else doesn't stop to help them where you're not everybody's sharing their supplies and their goods it's all about getting each other to the finish line and that really is the most beautiful thing there is it's always interesting like how precious life can be like as you mentioned with you know the boston marathon and then mm -hmm. just how the things impact us you know into finding our why absolutely yeah and, and I think it's like the same thing with Carrie, you know, she had 
would debilitate most people happen. And she just looked for, she always says, like, when one door closes, another opens. And so I think that we were on this mutual path that when my family went through this thing at Boston, it wasn't something that was going to define us in a negative way, but elevate us in a positive way. And that's what Carrie took when she had all of these challenges in life and turned it into that. And so we were just sort of meant to find each other. <laughs> Which, yeah, because I know you share the, the co-chair spot for Thumbs Up International. Correct. So Thumbs Up International provides opportunities for differently abled athletes to participate in everything from road races, one mile, 5K, full marathons, triathlons, open water swims, whatever it may be. We believe that there's a place on the start line for everybody, that an athlete just is not a person who you looks a certain way or who lives a certain lifestyle. Everybody and anybody can be an athlete. And we pair differently abled and able-bodied athletes together to ensure that everybody has a place at the start line. Yeah, and especially with, I, I know I mentioned this, you know, before we got on about the terminology between differently able. Mm -hmm. right. I know like a lot of times people just say someone who has special needs as special needs, disabled or handicapped. Yep. Um, yep. I, I know Thumbs Up uses the term differently abled. The thing is that the, like the term disabled, the term handicap implies that you're not completely capable. And we fully believe that anybody is capable of accomplishing what they put their mind to. Can't always accomplish it on their own, but the teamwork and the togetherness is what makes it so wonderful and so special. And those connections are important in every aspect of life, right? Nobody goes it alone in this world. Nobody is able to do, you know, you, you don't look at somebody who can't run a business on their own, who needs assistance in running a business as somebody who is less than. So why should you look at an athlete or a person who might need assistance to get through their day differently? It's just all about the mindset, right? And coming together as a team shows strength. And one of the most important thing that Thumbs Up focuses on is that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. So when somebody who has different abilities than another person asks somebody for help in getting through a run, a swim, a bike, whatever it may be, that's a sign of strength, right? That's a sign of incredible inner strength. Like, you know what? Most people would look at what I have going on as a limitation. I just see it as something that I need to figure out a solution to. I'm going to ask for help and get it done. That shows incredible strength and resilience. And so we like to focus on that aspect of it as opposed to having it have a negative connotation of not able to. So how do like differently abled athletes, how do they find the program? So we have a website, we have a social media presence, we have a pretty big presence at local 
events. We do a lot of programming in different schools. So we have a program called Race to Educate, where we actually teach fourth grade students at Miami Country Day School, the art of triathlon. But it's not really about the triathlon. We're teaching them about strengths. We're teaching them that no matter what you look like on the outside, everybody has different challenges. So while somebody might be a proficient runner, they might then struggle in the swim or somebody doesn't know how to bike, but they're an incredible swimmer. And just teaching them those lessons in life about setting goals, about working together. So what we do is we pair the students who are great bikers with the students who don't know how to bike. We pair the strong swimmers with swimmers who might need a little assistance. And we teach them all about coming together and helping each other. We teach them about not looking at something as so overwhelming when you go to a fourth grade and you're like, okay, guys, you guys are going to do a triathlon. They're like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) And show them that it's the same thing. Like, hey, you're going to learn algebra. Wait a minute, what? (laughs) Like, let's break it down point by point, piece by piece. We're going to first teach you how to swim. Then we're going to teach you how to transition. Then we're going to teach you how to bike. Then we're going to teach you how to run. And if you do it step by step and you do it with a support system, anything is possible. And we hope that they then bring those lessons into the classroom, into their personal relationships when they see that, you know, everybody has a strength and a weakness. And those things are beautiful because they complement each other and create lifelong friendships and relationship. And the lesson of setting a goal, dreaming big and knowing that when you work hard, when you take every precaution and you're safe and you plan in life, anything is possible. And we always start out this lesson with Carrie and I standing in front of the fourth graders and we say, who knows what a triathlon is? And some people raise their hand and some don't and we explain to them (laughs) what it is. And we say, do you know what an Ironman is? And some say yes and some say no. And then we tell them what the Ironman is. The superhero. And then we, (laughs) right, (laughs) exactly. That we do get that 100%. And then we say, which one of us do you think has completed an Ironman? And they all point at me and we say, don't judge a book by its cover. Whoa. Don't, don't, don't make a judgment about a person just by the way they look. It's both of us. And that's the basis for the lesson. And then we work with them for months and then we actually, it culminates in a full triathlon on the campus with the fourth graders um, participating and completing the entire triathlon. So it's an incredible lesson that they carry with them. And we've been doing it now for, let's see, six years, seven years. Well, we did have one year off for COVID, unfortunately. So the program started seven years ago, but we have completed six triathlons. And those students, when they graduate from elementary school going into middle school, they always have to do a reflection. And 87% of them over the years have written their reflection about the fourth grade triathlon and what it means to them. And so it's just an incredible way to use sport to make a difference in this world. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. It's a lot of fun. We'll invite you next year. We always do it in November. You'll come down to Miami and see it. 
Hmm, that's not that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's you know it's all about you know teaching. I guess teamwork makes the dream work as well. Teamwork makes the dream work big time. Which I guess you know looping looping back into the ultra running. This race is impossible to do without you know your crew. Oh my gosh! It, you know they're just the best people. Like I, I don't even know how it's like they give so selflessly to me. Um, I'm like the most disgusting person when I'm running, you know, you're like sweating profusely for hours. You're like slopping sunblock on you, like slopping aquaphor, run goo, it's dripping out of every orifice and they just don't even care. They're like touching you, feeding you. I'm throwing back like half eaten food at them. Like, you know, uh, throwing up and then just swishing my mouth out with water and spitting it. And they're like, great job, you know, <laughs> just like, oh, my God, like, I'm disgusting. And they don't even care, like, hugging me at the end. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know. I can't stand myself. How are you guys near me? <laughs> um, but they, they don't even care. They're just like the most incredible people. And, you know, they work harder than me. All I have to do is run make a turn when they tell me to make a turn they feed me they hydrate me they you know give me my electrolytes my enzymes like that's the hard work you know they're they're mentally on the entire time and um that's the hard work man the crewing they're the best they're they're the absolute best yeah who'd you have out there this year so i had um so the interesting thing is like two of my um, crew members who are, you know, always there with me were actually running this year. And I'm so intensely proud because um, Parnian, who is someone who I had the pleasure of training, but is also, you know, family to me. She ran her first hundred and she was actually the third female, um, which was so exciting. So that and then um lucian who many florida runners might know as hot chocolate was also out there running but um he's always on my crew but they were out there running which was super cool to know that they were out there too um but naomi cooker who is always my crew chief was my crew chief there out there uh cheering me on um my my dear dear friend Ceci, who's a, a cyclist a runner her, Javi and Vicky, who are also, um, you know, cyclists and and runners. And then um, Hector Arana, who many Floridians probably know as the owner of Iron in Miami, which is, you know, an incredible running and biking store, but just so much more. They're, they're huge members of the community and always supporting all ultra runners and walkers, 5Ks, 10Ks, you know, marathons, whatever it is, but always doing community service work with their running as well. And so he was out there um, pacing the end and just getting me to the finish line. So you've done this race, what, like five times now and twice in the 50 miler? So I did the 50 miler twice. And I guess, yeah, I think I've done four, five, six, maybe fifth, yeah fifth time doing the 100 250s and five 100s it's never easy if that's the question it's never easy 
Yeah. So what, what brings you out every single year? So there's a lot of different motivations. In 2015, a dear friend's son was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. And I had run the Keys 100 before. I'd run the Keys, you know, 50, as we just mentioned. And the interesting thing is I always found that when people hear that you run 100 miles or 50 miles or whatever it may be, they're always like, wow, that's so interesting. And they want to talk and they ask a lot of questions. It's always a great conversation starter. So when my dear friend's son was diagnosed in 2015 with osteosarcoma, it felt so helpless. And how, what can I do? And how can I help? And I realized that I had this platform in my running that when people hear about running 100 miles, intrigues them and they want to talk more. So I decided that I would donate and dedicate my Keys 100 run to raising money for the Childhood Cancer Project, which is a foundation that was started to honor Joshua Siegel. And it provides funding for research and it's delivering hope to families. It is funding simply research, which is the key to a cure. So we named it 100 Keys to the Cure. We, that first year, raised $1,000 per mile. Whoa. $100,000 for cancer research. And since then, we have raised about $600,000 for childhood cancer research. We're currently funding an incredible program at UM Sylvester run by Dr. Trent. It is a sarcoma research trial that is truly saving lives and making a difference. And I have had the great fortune of meeting some of the most inspiring and best people on this planet, families battling pediatric cancer and their strength and their resilience is what brings me back out there every year. One of the most shocking things that I've ever learned in my life is that children who are diagnosed with cancer today are receiving the same treatments that children who were diagnosed 40 years ago were receiving. Our, our children simply deserve more. And it's just a matter of research dollars. And if I have the ability to go out there and run and somebody for some crazy reason seems to find that interesting and wants to give me a dollar per mile, $10 per mile, $100 per mile, $1,000 per mile, and I can through that make a difference in the fight against pediatric cancer, I'll be out there until the very end. Right now I can run. If one day it's I can only walk. If it's then I can crawl only. I'll be out there fighting for these families because our children just simply deserve more. Wow. Yeah, that's such a, definitely a deeper meaning behind, you know, a lot of, or at least the race strategy as well. Yeah. And so I have this mantra when it hurts and I promise you it always hurts. Like, you know what? I'll, I'll be like, I'm going to go run a 5K. And everybody's like, ah, oh, you do that in your sleep. I'm like, no, that hurts. <laughs> like, your heart rate's all the way up. You're pushing your speed. I think I'd rather run a marathon. I'm like, it hurts. But every race, no matter what it is, and quite frankly, almost every training run hurts, right? But you're out there 
for you're out there for yourself to some extent, of course, you're out there for a bigger purpose. But I, I have this mantra. And I always say to myself that this doesn't hurt. Chemo hurts. This is a choice. Nobody chooses cancer. And I just repeat that. And I repeat that and I repeat that. And that is what gets me through the difficult times. You know, I have this thing, my crew knows, uh, you know, might be sharing a little too much, but I like throw up at every ultra. It's just like my thing. <laughs> and at the Keys 100, I throw up after the seven mile bridge every single year. Um, I'm batting a thousand, hands down every year. In fact, my crew was waiting at the other side and they're sitting at the checkpoint and they're just chatting with the medical people, you know, just because that's the checkpoint where they're waiting for me to get over. And they're like, just don't be alarmed. She's going to throw up. They're like, how do you know? Are you talking to her? They're like, no, she always throws up here. They're like, she'll come <laughs> off. She'll be fine. But like maybe two, 300 feet down the road, as soon as she's like flat, she's going to throw up. <laughs> the medical person was like, okay. And I did. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, you know, at least I'm consistent. But, um, you know, I think about that. I'm like, and I have a thing or like, I just keep going. Like, so I'm like walking and throwing up and I'm like, every step counts. I got to keep going. And in my head, I'm like, you know, I've got these young kids going through chemo who spend days upon days throwing up, never knowing when they're going to throw up, when they're going to be able to hold down food or not hold down food. Like, Oh, so what? I'm going to throw up for five minutes and I'll be fine. Like, well, let's deal with it and go on. You know, you just need to put things in perspective. And that's my perspective. I haven't thrown up during an ultra yet, but I've definitely have done that that dry heave gag where... Oh, it's it, the worst. The dry heave's worse. That, it's worse than throwing up. Because at least when you throw up, like, all right, sure. done, let's go. You have relief. <laughs> yeah. So I have like a funny side story. I ran the Daytona 100 and it was just like, it was my day. Like I was on, I ran like a 1742. It was this huge monster PR felt great. We're at the finish line, like, you know, overall female, get my award, everything with like my usual crew. And they're like, Oh my, after the award, they're like, nobody's wanted to say it this whole time, but you actually didn't throw up. It was amazing. Whatever. I'm like, I can't believe it. Whatever. We get in the car to drive home. We're driving for five minutes. I'm like, you guys, I'm going to puke. I'm going to puke. <laughs> and I started puking in the car. I'm like, well, that was new, but still counts. <laughs> oh yeah. Definitely still counts. <laughs> <laughs> still batting a thousand. But yeah. So I guess with doing the hundred mile five times. Now, I feel like at this point you have a game plan pretty much dialed in. I do have a game plan. And I think that this year, that game plan is really what got me there. There was about a 50% DNF rate this year. Yeah. And it was, and I can tell you exactly what it was. There was cloud coverage and that cloud coverage gave people a false sense of security because the humidity was beyond intense. Worse than I think I've ever felt it out there in the Keys. And, but when you don't feel that sun beating down on you as hard, you don't sort of realize it and you're just depleted. And, and then all of a sudden it just crashes into you. So my game plan, and which is usually what I do in ultras, depending upon my start time, is I always go a little bit hard until the sun comes up. So I started, I think it, the start time was like 520. 
And I started at 520 a.m. And I pushed myself for about, and that when I say push myself, I'm not running marathon pace or I'm not running speed, but a little faster than you would. And um, I pushed until the sun came up. And when I started feeling that the sun was out and the temperature was rising and the humidity was rising, even though I still felt really good, I pulled myself back. And it was really hard mentally because I had been right in line with everybody up until that point. And I had to just say to myself, you know better, you know better, run your own race, run your own race. This isn't about where you place it's about your time. It's about you being the best you. And I kept having to repeat it to myself because I felt really good still. But I pulled back. And I pulled back um, about a minute and a half per mile, which is a lot, until I got myself over the seven-mile bridge. And then once I got myself over the seven-mile bridge and, and I puked, <laughs> I knew that you know it was later in the day that the the sun was going to start going down that I hoped the humidity would go down but it really didn't and but that I was now at a point where I had taken in enough water and I was able to you know when you when you slow it down and your heart rate's a little lower you can digest more water you can in, you know digest more hydration more fuel so I was able to do that for that long stretch from about like 9:30 in the morning to about three o'clock in the afternoon where I could really like eat small bits every hour, drink consistently, and then give myself a good push for those last 40 miles. And it worked because I was, you know, right up at the front, I fell back. And then as soon as I, you know, hit that point in my strategy, I was still you know, certainly not fresh and certainly not feeling great after 60 miles, but still had enough in me that I could push. And I just very slowly crept my way back up, crept my way back up. And, you know, was, I, I think by maybe mile like 80, 85 was able to, you know, take over the lead and, and, and stay strong and feel good until the ends. Yeah. Cause where's the seven mile bridge? That's, is Seven that, mile bridges, it's, mile, 50, it's right? mile 53. Yeah, mile 53. Okay. Which, you know, I mean, that's pretty intense. You know, you've been through a lot already by mile 53. You've been through Hell's Tunnel. Um, you know, you've been through a lot of heat, a lot of humidity. So it's an intense moment. And, and for me personally, the seven mile bridge is really challenging because I deal with motion sickness and what's happening is like you're you're ascending so it's not a huge incline but you're still moving up so you're sort of like feel like you're walking into the sun you know you're you're coming up into the sun and you have the ocean to your left and the waves are coming at you in your peripheral vision from the left and cars are really speeding by you pretty close i mean bob becker is the consummate professional and everything is safe and he has the cones up and everything, but you have the car zooming by you. You're running into traffic for your own safety. So you can take control of a situation too and keep your eyes on the cars. But then the cars are zooming past you, zooming past you as you're running into traffic. So there's a lot of sensory overload happening on that seven mile bridge. So it's really challenging um, for anybody 
but it's it's especially challenging for me. I get motion sickness, but I, well, a lot of people who don't normally get motion sickness often say they feel that there as well. It's a lot of sensory overload. So there's a lot going on on that bridge. So I also just think mentally, even though, you know, it's great because you get over it and you're sort of like getting through the heat of the day and whatever, it's still a big mental hurdle to get off of the bridge. Yeah, because it's definitely a wildly different terrain versus, you know, your standard ultra. Yeah, for sure. I'm a road girl, right? So I love the road. I know a lot of people don't. Um, I, I don't know. I'm comfortable on the road. Um, when I race trail, whenever I, my, my body hurts so much more because I'm in an awkward position where I feel like I'm a little bent over and looking down the whole time because I'm watching so in, intently on like what's in front of me, if I'm going to trip over a rock or a root or a branch or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so I actually find that challenging. I mean, I love the beauty of it and being in that environment, but I find it physically a lot more challenging um, because of the terrain and because of the sort of like position my body's in. And I don't run upright on trails and it, it's probably just fear and maybe it's inexperienced on them, but I sort of run like hunched over, always looking for the root and the branch and the trees. So I'm a road girl. Um, but even so, even though the keys is full road, like you said, it is like different terrain. Like you're coming from sidewalks and hell's tunnel and like, you know, hell's tunnels, like in the forties. And then you hit the 50 mile mark and you're feeling like, Oh, awesome. I'm halfway there. Oh wait, now I got to go over the bridge, you know? Um, so it, it changes up a lot, but that's also sort of good mentally, you know, cause you can compartmentalize. Like, I don't think anybody can go out and be like, I'm going to go run a hundred miles. Okay. One mile down 99 left. Like, I don't ever think of it that way. I think of it in, as you said, like the different terrain and the different pieces of the course, which the years of experience running the same course really gives you valuable insight into that and I think helps you mentally because you're like oh I got through that part I hate that part I'm glad it's over or (laughs) you know I know what's coming next I just have to push for those four miles to get through a difficult piece or you know what or getting excited to see a landmark that you know because it means that you're you know x amount closer whatever it may be but I just think that for me personally I I, I don't know I prefer the road what's hell's tunnel like because so I've seen it the comments on the Keys 100 Facebook group, but having never been down there, what is that? So Hell's Tunnel is a path, and it's really only a little bit over two miles, which obviously is pretty short, but it's it's really intense. What happens is there are, there's, I think, one, two, I think there's three times that you cross the road in the Keys. And so what happens is it's right around mile maybe 42 or so, and you have to cross from the ocean side to the bay side. And you come into this two-mile stretch, which is paved. And um, it is tall trees and brush on each side that I would say are maybe 10 to 12 feet tall on both sides. And it's maybe 10 or 12 feet wide. So what happens is it just becomes a sauna. 
and there's no air at all moving through there. And it is also blacktop that you're running on, even though it, it's like this paved way through bushes sort of so there's just absolutely no air circulation whatsoever and the sun that beats down just lights up the blacktop and the humidity level has to be 10 to 20 percent different for those two miles the temperature is different for those two miles and the air is just a palpable thickness so it's just full thick brush that creates a tunnel. I mean, obviously the, the top is not covered, but it just prevents any air or circulation or life <laughs> from, <laughs> from coming in there. And you just sort of have to get through it. And, you know, you're at mile 40 already, so you're tired. And, and if you're not taking in enough fuel and hydration, many people um, I've seen it every year. They're like, it's two miles. I'm just going to get through it as quick as I can. And they try to power it through and like, you know, two eight minute miles and they think, great, let me just get in and out, in and out. But, but they're done. You know, last year, um, I have a friend who's, you know, a, a really proficient runner and, and used that strategy in Hell's Tunnel and struggled over the bridge after and then was done because Hell's Tunnel just took them out. Like it, it's and it's like you talked about that experience. It's knowing that because I've tried, I've tried to get through Hell's Tunnel quickly, and this time I just take extra hydration, lots of lots of ice, and just ease. I, I run, walk, run, walk, get myself through Hell's Tunnel in like 11, 12 minute miles to keep my heart rate low and take in water the whole time. Try to keep ice on me and just you know, 22, 24 minutes, get yourself out of it with a lower heart rate and a lower perspiration rate and then pick it back up after. That's crazy. It's just that little section that plays such a major role for everyone's race. It does. <laughs> it makes a huge difference. And it's, and it's, I mean, as soon as you enter it, like, well, first of all, there's a sign that says, welcome to Hell's Tunnel. So you're like, oh, great, mentally. Um, but, <laughs> But also you feel it like you just it's like a light switch. It just it's like you opened a door to a different place at like a sauna and you feel the difference of it. <laughs> and then you come out of it and you're like, ah, <laughs> you know, and your cruise like there's a cruise stop right after it. And you come out and like your crew standing there with with ice and water and you're just like. Oh, this is the greatest feeling. Like coming out of that is feels almost as good as the finish line. <laughs> You're like, there's air. Yep. I feel air. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I guess, you know, coming into that point, you obviously felt pretty good. So once you made it past, you know, the seven mile bridge, how did those, you know, that final half go? It was great. And you know what? I, so when I ran Badwater the first time, I was so nervous. I was so, um, intimidated, I guess is, is the proper word. And I made a promise to myself and I said, I'm not going to wish away the miles. I'm going to like take it all in and enjoy it. And that made such a difference for me in my first bad water. And so I've tried to use that here too. So I came over the bridge and I was like, all right, I'm over my hump. I love this in my head. 
I know this sounds crazy. I know it does. But I'm like, there's only 40 miles left. 40 miles is a training run. I got this. And um, I just felt good. I was excited. I knew, you know, what was coming, um, different areas of the course. And I was just excited for it. And I was just grateful that I felt good and that I just had an intensely amazing crew who was working so hard and, you know, kept me good. Um, about an hour or two later, like, you know, I kept saying, oh, I'm going to, the weather's going to be amazing in like an hour or two. And that sort of never happened. So that mentally got me a little bit. And we were still pouring tons of ice water and everything over my head. 11 o'clock. And I was like, all right, in the next hour, it's going to be midnight. Like, it'll be okay. And I'm like, it's midnight. I'm almost done. I'm like six miles out or whatever it is. And I'm still profusely sweating. Like, what is happening here? Um, so that part, you know, um, I had to sort of struggle through that mentally a little bit. But other than that, at that point, I, I, I allow myself to sort of start ticking down the miles. Yeah. Is there a point that you realize that you're, you know, you're coming in a huge course PR? Yeah. So, you know, the thing <laughs> about an ultra is you never sort of want to bank on your time until the end, because let me tell you, you could, you could lose it on the last two miles, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I will never forget my first keys 100. My son was running with me like the last mile or two. And that last mile or two feels like 10, you know, and I was like, I think I need to sit down. I don't know if I'm, you know, like this is, I'm done. And he was like, come on, mommy, we can do this. We got this. <laughs> and he was much younger than that. And I'm like, I don't know. And it just hits you like a brick. So you sort of, um, never want to take for granted the distance. And like, if you stay in your head, like, oh, I only have six miles left. Well, you know, you've come like 94 miles, like your body has a lot on it. It's difficult. So I think that what I, what I always do in my head is I sort of say, all right, worst case scenario, let's say I have to start walking. Um, this would be my pace. This would be my time. And then every two miles or so, I'm like, okay, I'm ahead of that pace. Great. And and then sort of um, taking it like every two miles and not letting yourself worry too much about the overall time in, um, until like every two miles, you sort of keep reassessing. Um, because, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where let's say the last six miles takes you two and a half hours instead of two hours or it takes you three hours instead of two and a half, it's still amazing and you don't want to be disappointed. So I try to, I try to reassess every like two to three miles in the last say 20 miles. But here I got to about four or five miles left and I'm like, let me tell you, I feel okay. My crew was so energized and so excited that I, I, I let myself go there this time. And I was like, let's go for it. And I, it just gave me <laughs> like a new step and I'm like I'm like guys we're going for it and they're like oh my god you never say that till like the last couple I'm like let's do it I and and I think at that point was like the only time that I sort of let my head go there so yeah I guess take me into those last you know four four or five miles because I know what you're coming off of big copic key or something like that yeah I you know I honestly don't know the name to be really honest with you of that last um area but I will tell you that... You, I know you leave Sugarloaf, and then it's that uh -huh. big stretch. 
there's a long stretch. And then, um, so at, I had six miles left and I was like, Oh, all of a sudden I just felt like, like I was drinking and it was like sitting in my stomach. And so I started to, you know, try to limit what I was drinking a little bit more. Um, my crew was giving me some ginger ale to like settle my stomach, but keep fluids coming in. I was trying to eat things like watermelon instead of, I was trying to eat, I love bugles, right? Like when I'm in an ultra, I, like bugles is the most underrated snack food on the planet. <laughs> I discovered them at like a rest stop at, in the Keys 100 a few years ago. My crew was like, here's something salty. They went into potato chips and they came out with bugles. I was like, what is this? <laughs> these were like from my childhood. And I'm like, oh my God, these are the greatest thing ever. And I eat them. I don't ever eat them other than in an ultra, but I think they're the ultimate ultra food. <laughs> they're super salty. They're delicious. And so I was eating bugles and I was like, you guys, I've like bugle paste in my mouth. Like I can't take in enough water. I'm feeling a little waterlogged. So we were trying to eat things like watermelon and all that. And at my, I had six miles left and I started to not feel great. And then I was like, Oh, this is not happening. I can't like, I, I got to fight this, whatever. And I threw up. Um, and it, I threw up relatively quickly, which I was so grateful for. And after I threw up, I was like, I feel great. Let's do this. So by that point, we we're getting to like mile five or so. And there's a part in the keys at that part of the race where you cross over and you go on this like underpath that goes under the highway and you come up on the other side. And then you've got about four miles left. Two miles go straight down and then you make a left. There's about two miles left and you go to Higgs Beach. So you come under that underpass. And as soon as like I started to freak out that I wasn't going to feel good and I, I wasn't going to throw up and it was going to have to walk the last six miles. But like I quickly rebounded. It was only about 15 minutes um, that that lasted. And that ended up being a little bit more of a walking mile than a running mile. And um, I rebounded. And then right then we turned and ran under. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is my home. And I just sort of got like super excited. And then we come out from under there and there's an electric sign. that says like, welcome to Key West. <laughs> and then I just like, I got like the chills and all the feels. And I'm like, you guys, we got this. Let's go. And I started running and I started running kind of fast. And I was like, all right, listen, I still have five miles. It's a long way to go. And I forced myself to take my run walk breaks because I was like, I could probably run two miles super fast right now, but then I'm going to like drag myself in for three miles. So I just, which I think I did and was my key this entire race, just stuck to the plan. I'm like, all right, I'm going to run, you know, 0.75 and I'm going to walk for 0.1, 0.15 and then run again. And, and I kept true to that, even though like I had this adrenaline rush. Um, but I did that. And then the last mile, like all bets are off. And then, you know, the best part is as you're coming into the finish and the most important thing to me is always finishing with my entire crew. And they went ahead and they parked the car and they crossed the finish line with me because, you know, you can't do it without your crew. So for you to cross your, the finish line without that makes no sense because you wouldn't have been there without them. So that part, you know, I got like, oh, I started to cry. Like I, 
it, it had been a long time since I cried at a finish line like that. But I, I don't know. It was just, it was like a dream come true. I knew, you know, where I was in the standings and everything, um, which I normally do not like to know. My crew knows that. But every time I passed a checkpoint, somebody at the checkpoint kept saying to me, like, first they're like, oh, you're second female, but first female's like 10 minutes ahead of you. And I was like, oh, I didn't want to know that. Like, I tried really hard to run my own race, you know, and my crew knows never to tell me that, except they know if somebody's close enough where if I push a little more at the end, I can get them, whatever. But for me, it's more about me and doing my best. Um, but the checkpoint people kept telling me every time where I was in the standings. And I was like, oh, but I knew where I was. So I just got super emotional. And, you know, I crossed the finish line and I just hugged my crew. And we all shed a few tears and were super excited. And then I talked to Bob Becker, the legend, who, you know, I love so much. And he's just one of the best people on the planet. And then um, <laughs> my crew was like, sit down, sit down. Let's get your shoes off. I'm like, just, we got to do everything we got to do here. Pictures, everything before I sit down. Because once I sit down, I'm not getting up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, you know, stopped and we did all the pictures and everything. And then um, I, we were waiting for a friend to finish who was, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or something like that behind. And then they had these cots in the medical tent. I went over and I was like, listen, I feel totally fine. Would you mind if I sleep here? She's like, go ahead. <laughs> we laid, I laid down in the medical tent. You know, my crew sat down and got food and we ate and, and laid there and just sort of like took it all in and just enjoyed it all. It was, it still sort of felt a little surreal. Yeah. With even being, you know, the first female, you're also the first Floridian. Oh, is that true? I didn't yes. know that. Yeah. So the other woman, Jessica, she's from Alabama. I love that. I didn't even know that. So there's another stat for the, uh, the your keys. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I know that the, the first male, I think he was from Portugal, if I'm correct. Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. He was, he was lovely. I got to talk to him for a little bit. Just, you know, it's all about the people. They're the best people. There was also a Hungarian that, that traveled here for this race. I mean, don't you love that? It's so cool. Like just people coming together from all over the world and especially in the world we're living in now, just people coming together for good. And that's what it's like all about. But yeah, with, you know, with all of that, you know, for the keys 100 this year, what are those final thoughts, those final opinions? So first and foremost, it's just always the most incredible race, the marshals, the volunteers, they're just out there to like cheer you on, make everybody feel good. It's really like a family, um, such a fun race, such a party. I think it's like Florida hospitality at its best. I love that everybody comes from around the world to come enjoy the, the beauty of Florida and see us at our best. And no, just as a Floridian, it's, it, it was such an honor. Um, I haven't decided. Everyone's asked me like, where's your conch shell? Like, where where is it? And I'm like, I haven't I haven't found the right place for it yet, but I will. Um, I do happen to have one from the fifty as well, so they'll live together somewhere good. Um, but I just 
I think that it's like Florida at its best and I love to show that off. Yeah, that makes sense. I definitely appreciate this. No, I'm honored that you asked. I appreciate it. I love talking with you and hopefully we'll talk again soon and maybe even share our run. Heck yeah. All right, thanks. All right, thank you. And there we have it with episode number 30. Just one of a few awesome episodes to come about this year. Keys 100. Karen's amazing. She's awesome. You know, thumbs up international. What they do, you know, their outreach, their goals, you know, really what they do for the community. So, hey, make sure to go check that out. So, there we go. Until next time, happy trails.